Well, I will start the way I will end. Merry Christmas. And those of you who are here in this service, I, you, that's, it's amazing that you are here. <laughs> uh, in, in fact, I won't, I won't, I, I won't point this out, but I, I usually kind of take a little, give you a little secret. Between the services, I just kind of chill for a little bit. It's kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm a closet introvert, so I need a little alone time, you know? So I was just looking out the window over here in this room, and I saw a bunch of people parking over there that were like, the, then the guy came out and said, no. And then y'all went back in your car. And so I just thought, man, you got to put up with a lot to come here on a Viking Sunday. And what is it like negative 6,000 degrees or whatever it is and, and, and all that kind of thing. And, and so, man, that's just, uh, it, uh, it, warm, it warms my heart once in a while to watch the hassle that folks have to go through. So welcome. Merry Christmas. You're inside where it's at least some, somewhat warmer than it is outside, and so we're glad that you're, you're here. Um, any students left? Uh, done with your finals? Done? Anybody not done? Those who are done? Anybody done? You owe everyone else that said they weren't done a steak dinner. So that's the way that's, that's going to work. Uh, a little, little bit of a public service announcement. A couple of them here to kind of begin with here. Um, first off, our schedule during Christmas is a little bizarre. It's a little strange. And so, just so you know, so Saturday is Christmas Eve. We will have one Christmas Eve celebration in this building at 7 o'clock. Okay, so, and this is one of those deals. If you have little ones, thank you for bringing them as an example. You can write both of those children off as a business expense now. Uh, but we really do encourage little ones to come. It is fine they can cry like crazy, or if you didn't, didn't do well in your finals, you can come and cry out loud as well if you're a student, so feel free to do that. But, but we're really, it's a great, it lasts about an hour, so it's kind of chill, 7 to 8 o'clock or so. It's one of those candlelight and, and carols and the whole thing, bring your family, it's a lot of fun. Um, and so we have the candles and you burn your hand, it's just a wonderful, wonderful time. And then on Christmas Day... Now, I know there's a lot of debate uh, going around. Do you have church on Christmas Day or not? And it is, I understand that, you know, we want people to be with their families and that kind of a thing, encourage that. At the same time, it seems a little weird to, I don't know, cancel service for, I don't know, the incarnation of our Lord. It just seems a little, it's kind of like, do you think the NFL cancels all games on the day of the Super Bowl? I don't, I don't think so. So at least one, you know. So it's kind of a big deal. So... We thought, what can we do? And we've, we've dealt with this just three times in our history. And uh, what we've always decided to do is do one service at a time where no one would naturally come, which is 10 o'clock. So it's like, it's not 9, it's not 11, it's 10. And again, it's a low-key service. It's going to be, again, bring all the kids. It won't be childcare. Just bring the kids in. It's fine. In fact, Pastor Drew is going to be continuing on the series we're in right now, and he's going to be doing a kid's sermon as part of it. So the kids will get to be able to come up front. I don't know if they're going to get on stage, or I don't know what they're all going to do, but it should be a lot of fun. So again, it's going to be a shorter service, hour, hour, 15, something like that, as opposed to our normal three and a half hours that we go normally. So other thing. So 7 o'clock, New Year's, or excuse me, Christmas Eve, uh, 10 a.m. only, and both of those are in this building Right here. If you got your worship folder handy, grab it just for a moment. Look at the uh, every about every quarter. What we try to do is give you a little bit of an update how we're doing as a church in our financial situation. 
And so we try to figure it out about this time of year and let you know. And if you look at the, the giving update there, you can always see that. And if you see that right now, it would show that we have a negative $93,000 um, uh, in order to make the budget year, uh, budget year that we need to still raise 93000 by the end, of, in, in addition to just normal income. And that, that is true. Let me give you two bits of good news in that. Number one, we are going to come in under our budget for spending. I don't know how much. It's not going to be 93000 That's for sure. I know that. But it's going to be between 50 bucks and 92000 I don't know exactly where it is yet. Uh, <laughs> Once the budget hit over a million, I ran out of fingers and toes. And so I just can't figure this exactly out. We know we're going to come in under, though. We've got that pretty much figured out. So that's one good piece of news. The other good piece of news is at this time of year, that's about typical. So that if it, so, a lot of people, end of the year things, they try to uh, get giving in. Some, some folks, admittedly, uh, only give once a year. And uh, so that's, that's great. And so they do that. But in order to start 2017 strong, it would be... Uh, great to work, chisel down that, that deficit. So that's kind of the update. Uh, we're doing well. Uh, we could continue end the year strong. That'd be great. Okay, let's go on here with the, with the deal at hand. For a lot of you, especially if you're a parent, uh, you will go through, and if you're not yet, you will, you'll go through a period where um, you'll, you'll want to have the perfect Christmas. If, if, if you're not yet that in that position and the Lord leads you to this, you'll kind of know what this is like. You'll have this kind of inner sense of I just I feel responsible to make sure everybody has the perfect Christmas. All right? And especially if you're a uh, mom, okay? So you kind of get this, here we're going, we're getting ready for this whole thing, and you, uh, you, you, you start doing things in, around July, you start going on Pinterest and which they should just ban uh, for Christmas because it puts expectations. But what you're really looking for is those three little words that you want everyone to say at around 4 o'clock on Christmas Day. After everything is done, you want them to say, Mom, this was the best Christmas ever, right? That's what you're hoping uh, for them to say. And you, you want it where everybody's going to get exactly the gift that they wanted, right? Everybody's going to get perfect things. And if you can't get quality, you'll make up for it in quantity. You're just like going to, hey, let's just do at it, have at it all over the place. You expect the food to just be scrumptious. You have all kinds of bakery goods and you have different food. You just, you want all those kind of different things. You want the Norman Rockwell experience, if you're familiar with those paintings, and that's kind of where you're aiming. And then reality comes in. Nothing ever goes like that. I'm just going to warn you. Nothing ever goes like that. Uh, I remember as a kid, I had asked for like four things for Christmas, got those four and four more. And I think that I'd wanted forever was a pool table. And my parents got, it was not the greatest, but we got a pool table for our base. It was amazing. And I remember going to my mom afterwards and saying, I don't know why, but I'm just really disappointed. I just thought, oh my gosh, what a moron. I said that to her. And, and she was like, I know. I just, I don't know. It's just, I got everything and it's yeah, yeah, what it, what it, yeah. So that, because that's reality. And so you think, I'm going to bring the kid, I'm going to bring him to Santa Claus, and then this happens, you know, and the, the whole thing. And now, that, that child actually has a, maybe a little bit different haircut, but other than that, it looks a lot like I did at that age. And uh, this reminded me, when I saw this picture, I went, oh my gosh, that reminds me of what it was like growing up on the Iron Range, because the Iron Range Santas smelled of camel cigarettes and Jack Daniels. 
and and you were terrified of these. <laughs> that's that's what I distinctly remember. And and the gift giving, even the baby doesn't like the gift. You know what I mean? The baby just says, "Really? This is all you got me is a hat? Really? That's it?" And then you ask your husband for just one thing. I just want a nice album of some Christmas music, and they give you this. They give you the. <laughs> Now, this really is a thing. I thought, no way. The Hoff does Christmas? Yes, the Hoff did Christmas, so it's out there. So we're in a series right now talking about awkward family photos for Christmas. And the way we've been doing this, and it's kind of, it's a, I, I commend Cor. He's, he's still got a lot of creative juices for Christmas going. That we're looking at Christmas from different biblical uh, characters, people who were in Scripture and were there, and what was their perspective. And this week... Uh, we get the opportunity to look at it from uh, Mary. So this this will be a lot of fun. Uh, We'll be looking at uh, Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38. Then we're going to go over to chapter 2, read seven verses, skip down a little bit for the sake of time, and then look at verses 16 to 20. Before we get going, I'm going to read all those through. And so if you don't mind standing in honor of God's word here, uh, if you're able to, that would be great. And we're going to go ahead and just read this through, and then we'll get going for today. In the sixth month, this Luke chapter 1, starting verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to have been barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Going ahead to chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first sentence that took place while Quinarius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town uh, of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there... The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And skipping on to verse 16, so they, and this is now the shepherds, the shepherds uh, are here, here, this announcement, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You can have a seat. So, 
I know for some of you, you've been around Hope for a little while. <laughs> when you saw me go to that first slide, you, you, you kind of had a little, we're going, we're going back to Luke, a little bit of a nervous twitch, like, ah, uh-huh, ah, uh-huh. <laughs> right? <laughs> so like, ah, uh, two years, 97 sermons, isn't that enough? You know, and so, uh, but we really love Luke, and there's a reason why. I got I to gotta be honest with you, this time, this time of the year, you're going to hear from Luke, this time of the year especially. I'm going to show you why that is. If you look at the Gospel of Mark, okay, here's the Gospel of Mark, and let me click again to show you all the verses about the birth of Jesus. There. There are all the verses about the birth of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Same with John. The Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of John, zero. Zilch. Nada. Those of you who know Spanish, el guseg. Nothing. I'm sorry, just, yeah, it's probably not the best Spanish. Uh, right? Nothing. Rest of the New Testament. Nothing. Nothing about the birth of Jesus. You come to Matthew and you get this. Now, what's in white is things that we will also find in the Gospel of Luke. Matthew and Luke, that's the only places we see things. What's in red is unique to Matthew. So Matthew brings five things there. Luke, look at this. That's all the unique things he brings. Luke is very interested in the birth of Jesus. You want to learn about the birth of Jesus, you spend significant amount of time in the Gospel of Luke and then also in Matthew. So that's why we're back in uh, Luke here. Now, when, we, when you look at church history, this has been a, a very, very uh, paint-worthy subject where the angel comes to Mary when we first meet Mary and the... the the, uh, the, what it's called, it's called the, the Annunciation. In other words, the announcement that you're going to have a child. Okay, so there's this Annunciation to Mary, and, and, and then she's obviously going to be pregnant and, and have a child, and that's uh, the Incarnation. just means God has come incarnate to earth, and so that's going to happen. But, but what we're going to look at first here is this idea of the Annunciation and the angel saying to Mary. There's a lot of paintings about this. First painting here. Uh, and it's fun because uh, being, I was in Florence. Uh, I don't remember seeing this one. I do remember seeing uh, the Da Vinci. But you can look at these. And so uh, they all have a little bit different kind of a, of a thing. I, I give them a little title. This one I would call the excuse me, miss. Excuse me, miss kind of a thing. She seems to be going about her business. Uh, and excuse me, miss, you know, you're, you're going to give birth. And then uh, another one here. This is where if you look, it's a little hard to see his face. But he looks extremely apologetic. It's like, ah, uh, I got something here for you. And she is just looking down like, what? What? That's, that's what this one seems to be saying. This one, this is interesting. I, I, for the life of me, have been trying to figure out what it is exactly that she's got her hand on. You know, and you probably can't see where she's got very long fingers in this one. I don't know if this was a design flaw where he wanted them to go that way. And they said, no, I need it touching I don't know what it is. Is it a book? I, I, I can't quite make it out exactly. It looks almost like an abacus, you know, like Mary the accountant or something. Uh, and so this angel comes to Mary, and she's sitting outside of this grand palace with the very ornate-looking um, whatever that gizmo is. Then you have this one. This one is one of my favorites. Uh, this one is the it's Annunciation. Jesus, or excuse me, Mary is is got kind of her back to the angel. She's reading a book. She's the, she's a book reader. So she's into a good novel. She's reading, reading a James Patterson or something. She's sitting over there, and she kind of looks over her shoulder. But if you look at the room, it's, it's 
pretty 16th century I'm going to go with. You know, that's, that's nowhere near what it, All of those are great, and I'm not trying to. There's some great artists there, of course, but, man, the Annunciation probably looked more like this. Uh, uh, you know, that minus the yellow Frisbee on their heads. The... Uh, they, <laughs> The, Mary was a poor girl, and there was absolutely nothing special about her. In fact, that's one of the main things about Mary, is there really isn't anything too special about her. Uh, she was very young. I'm going to show you that here in just a minute. Uh, very young, and this would have been, she probably would have been, you know, typical teenager, uh, young teenager at this uh, uh, R.T. France says it this way. He says, a Jewish girl would normally be pledged to be married at about 12 years old. 12. And married about a year after that. Mary would therefore be in her early teens at this time in striking contrast with the age of her relative Elizabeth, well advanced in years. That's from chapter 1. Nazareth was a small, obscure hill village in the province, northern province of Galilee, far from the capital city of Jerusalem and Judea, in contrast with Gabriel's visits to Zechariah, and that happens in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, Zechariah is going to be the father with his wife Elizabeth, uh, but it's not a miraculous conception. It's just they're going to have a child, and it's announced to Zechariah, who's a priest, and he's in the temple. Okay? Uh, in contrast with that, uh, he is now visiting a person of no social significance, even though her fiancé would have been of uh, David's line, Davidic uh, descent. There wasn't much of a deal there. So let's meet. Let's meet Mary and different things. First of all, the location is, we just said it, is a place called Nazareth, and it's a town in Galilee. It is no big deal. In fact, it's no big deal really today. This is an aerial shot of Nazareth. Not a very big area at all. I grew up uh, in, in a city called Hibbing, Minnesota, and, and it's kind of a big deal. And so, uh, was it funny? I don't know why they're laughing. I don't know what the deal is. But Hibbing uh, was a mining town, all that. And so Hibbing was kind of the hub, believe it or not. And around Hibbing was these other little things, okay? We didn't call them cities. We didn't call them villages. Anybody from the Iron Range remember what we call them? They're called locations. I lived in, you know, such and such location. It's not even got a name. It's just, it's just a location. It might, be, it might be a number. Some of them were number. It was just kind of strange. That was Nazareth. It's not a big deal. It became a big deal, obviously, because of this. It's a big fancy church at the very spot where this, uh, who knows? I have no idea. Neither do they. But maybe it's possible. I mean, I guess it's as good as any other spot. You're in Nazareth, so that's a good thing. But other than that, you really don't know where this, this was. R.T. France goes on to say, the setting for the Annunciation that where Gabriel meets Mary, drew amazement from first century Jewish readers. So if you read this, and you were the first one to read this, because Gabriel ignored Judea, the heartland of God's work through the centuries, and came to Galilee, a land that was the subject of abiding Jewish contempt because of its mongrelized population. These were not pure Jewish people anymore. Even more, the angel not only bypassed Judea for Galilee, but the city of Jerusalem for the city of Nazareth. Nazareth, Nazareth was a non-place. Ouch. It was not even mentioned in the Old Testament or in the great Jewish historian Josephus' writings or in the rabbinical writings. So none of these you can find this name. It wasn't until 1962 
that something before this account, a pre-Christian mention of Nazareth, was found at Caesarea Maritima, which means it was not mentioned at all anywhere except they finally found something. The later prominence of the town is a result of the Christian gospel. Nazareth, a shoddy, corrupt, halfway stop between the port cities of Tyre and Sidon, wow, was overrun by Gentiles and Roman soldiers. When guileless, straight-talking Nathaniel mentioned Nazareth in, in John's gospel, he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Implying that it was miserably corrupt. By consensus, Nazareth was not much. Of course, in skipping Judea and Jerusalem, Gabriel also ignored the temple, the most holy place in Israel, and entered the lowly home of Mary, which certainly was not much. So now, what I want, well, this, this message today is trying to look at this from Mary's perspective. So as best you can, try to get yourself into Mary's shoes and to feel what this would have been like. She has no social standing, really. She's not a wealthy person by any stretch of any imagination. She wouldn't be picked on in a crowd. She's just a typical, typical young lady of that period of time. And she was very young. Some would say as young as 12, 12 and a half. 12. I mean, what is that, sixth grade? 12 years old at the time of this annunciation. Okay, so let's see how this happens. She is a, it says she is a virgin. It means she has not had any sexual relations uh, with anyone, and that's, but she's so young. I mean, it's part of the, the reason. We'll see that in just a second. And, and it also says uh, the reason why this is going to be a big deal is because it fulfills Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah chapter 7 uh, says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child. Which, that doesn't happen, okay? It's, it's, it's not just rare. It just doesn't happen. It's just, it's a miracle, right? The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Here's her marital status. Core touch on this if you were here last week a little bit. Uh, it, it says she was pledged to be married to a man. And we'll come in and a little more about him in just a minute. So what does that mean, pledged to be married? Is it like engagement? Kind of, but not completely. Let me give you the history of this. Joel Green is very helpful here. According to contemporary Roman law, the minimum age of marriage for girls was 12. Uh, for boys, 14, with the minimum age for betrothal set by Augustus at 10. So you could get betrothed at 10. We'll talk about betrothal in just a second. Jewish practices were comparable so that marriage for a female usually took place before she reached 12 and a half years of age. This was advantageous for her husband, who thus received the benefits of her service over a longer period of time, but also for the girl's father. Practically speaking, he was able more easily to guarantee his daughter's purity, virginity, if he could arrange for her to be married by the time she even reaches puberty. She wasn't even interested. I mean, it's not even on the radar because of her age. A marriage was constituted by three things. The drawing up of a deed, a contract, the exchange of money to the groom. So the bride... Uh, the bride's family gave a bride price, it says here. And then lastly, it's consummated by sexual intercourse. Earlier practices apparently made no distinction between betrothal and marriage, 
But before the first century, a time elapsed at some 12 months had become common. Okay, so you'd, 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 get, in, you'd get betrothed. You may, maybe didn't even meet each other, uh, but you'd be betrothed to this person. And then, and then, oh, not until your wedding day would you be, you wouldn't live together, you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't spend much time together. See what he says here? He says, consequently, a deed of betrothal and the bride price were exchanged at betrothal, that time when they made the arrangement, after which bride and groom were legally joined and could be separated only by death or divorce. During this betrothal period, the daughter remained in her father's house and under his control. Betrothal is thus quite distinct from engagement in the modern sense of the word. It's similar, but it's legally binding, and it was a lot more dis- distinct. You were, you were under your father's care. So that's who she is. She's this young girl. She's been pledged. Not uncommon. Would have happened to a lot of young ladies, and, and that would have been their her route. Who's the guy? The guy's a guy by the name of Joseph. Last week's message, we looked at this from Joseph's perspective, and he's a descendant of David. If you were in the line of David, you were a little bit more of a big deal. But Mary most likely was not, and Mary's, uh, the name of this lady is Mary. Martin Luther says this. He says, he, that means Gabriel, the angel, he might have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas's daughter, who was fair, rich, clad in gold, embroidered raiment, and attended by a retune of maids in waiting. So just this opulence, right? But God preferred a lowly maid from a mean, meaning average, town. So as far as socioeconomic education, there ain't nothing special about Mary. Okay. Now, let's look at the account. The angel comes to her. And the angel Gabriel comes to her, and he says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Okay, so now Gabriel's been waiting for this. If you go back in the Old Testament, uh, 400 years before, one of the the last books of the Old Testament, written by the Italian prophet Malachi, he at the end of... Am I moving too fast for you? That was funny. Ha! No, I never am going to say that one again until I do. The uh, the end of the, the last words of the Old Testament... Chapter 4 of Malachi says that something's going to happen. And there's a great phrase that says, the sun, S-U-N, the sun of righteousness will rise, and it's poetic, with healing in its wings. And then it says, and you will go out and leap like calves released from your stalls. So there's this imagery of what's going to happen in the Old Testament. And it's, they're in exile here. And there's something coming, and it goes on to talk about justice coming and that the hearts of the fathers will come back to the sons. Something is going to happen. And then that's the end of the Old Testament. And 400 years of silence. 400 years. Almost double the amount of time we've been a country is silent. And now Gabriel's here to break the silence. And he says, you, you are highly favored. He just shows up. And he says, the Lord is with you. Now, what would, that's his perspective. I've been waiting 400 years. Her perspective is, there's a shining guy in my room talking to me, right? That's, it's, it's freaky. So, of course, her response is, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting uh, this might be. When, when Calvin, Calvin, are you in this service? No, out at him. Not, not, not going to church this week, I guess. <laughs> My son. Anyway, um, when he was a little kid, he had a favorite joke. 
And his favorite joke was this. He said, two muffins were in the oven. One muffin says the other one, isn't it kind of warm in here? And the other muffin says, ah, a talking muffin, right? So it's a terrible joke. Uh, you laughed more at that than anything else I've said. That's not good. But so it's a terrible joke, but that's kind of Mary's reaction. Gabriel's all about, do you know what's going to happen? That the redemption that was being talked about in, in the end of the Old Testament, which was all they had for the Bible, it, it's going to go now? And Mary's like, a talking muffin. I mean, she's freaking out because this being is talked. And so he tries to give her, oh no, excuse me, I'm sorry. I got to do this first. Mary's greatly troubled at his words and wondering what kind of greeting this might be. She doesn't actually say anything. Now here's the deal. Who's in the room? Mary and Gabriel. That's who's in the room. And the question you got to ask as a reader is, how in the world does Luke know this? How does Luke not, not alone just know what they're saying, but more than that, he goes into the mind of Mary. Mary was freaked out and didn't know what kind of greeting this was, right? And that, I love this. This is one of my, I know when we study the Gospel of Luke, I love this because in chapter one, Luke gives the reason why he's writing this Gospel. And he's writing it to a guy by the name of Theophilus, and he says, I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And he goes to verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's he saying here? He said, I've investigated this stuff. There are many scholars who think that Luke, the writer, actually got to sit down and have a conversation with Mary about this. Because how, how else would he know what was going on in her mind when this happened? I think that's cool. I mean, I think, whoa, that's really cool that we have, we have what's going on in her mind, all that. Now, if it wasn't the case, then it was someone that she had done that with that Luke got a chance to interview. So we know what's going on. We're going to see this again when, when Mary ponders something, and it's like there's no, there's no words even spoken anyone else would hear. It's just this thought bubble she has, and it's, it's very, very personal. Now, so what does the angel do? The angel does what angels always do. And they tries to just quiet her down by saying, do not be afraid, right? It's, 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 it's the first thing they learn in their, in their angel classes. Okay, you're going to come, you're going to shine, you're going to do the touch by an angel thing. They're going to freak out. Just tell them, don't freak out, then just keep going. They always do that. That's what she does. She says, don't be afraid, Mary. Okay? And he says, you have found favor with God. She's 12 and a half. She's young. If you tell a 12 and a half year old, God is going, God has given you favor, she's probably going to say, I'm getting a pony. I'm going to get a pony for Christmas. Or I guess there's no Christmas yet, but I'm going to get one, you know? And he says, you found favor and you're getting something, you're going to have a baby. She's like, I'm, I'm 12, okay? You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Okay? So just think about this. Just try to get yourself in her shoes, sandals, whatever she's wearing. Just try to think about it. You're, you're very young. You're not even yet married. And here this angel shows up. That's enough to put the old, you know, uh, anxiety meter pretty far over. Then he tells them, you're going to be with child, and you're going to give birth to a son, and I want you to call him Jesus. Okay? Now, 
Then there's another thing. He's not just going to be any kid. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, we read that, and we kind of go, hmm, that's interesting. When she read that, or when she heard those words, if you grew up going to a, uh, you know, Sunday school or whatever, and you had the flannel graph thing where you put the different, there's Jonah, and there's the whale, Bop, there, Jonah goes in the whale, and Jonah comes out of the whale, and all that kind of thing, and you could do all those kind of things. Mary would have went to, well, Saturday school, I guess, so Sabbath, but she would have went, had the flannel thing, and they would have talked all about David and his line. She would have known passages like 2 Samuel 7, where this was being spoken to David, and it says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Obviously talking about Solomon there, but then it keeps going. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Skip down to verse 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Well, that's not what happens. You get Solomon, then you get the next guy, and it all falls apart very quickly in the line. In fact, the nation of Israel doesn't even continue. It falls apart as well. So what's going on here? What's, what's this problem? Well, then the prophets during the exile period in the book of Isaiah pick up on this and say there's a day coming, Isaiah chapter 9. Very common Christmas passage. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And here's the kicker. He will reign on David's throne. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So when Mary hears this, that you're going to have a son and he's going to be the one, he's this one. You're going to have the Messiah. This is huge. Who would be going through her heart at this time? So then she asks a question. And the question she asks is simply this. How will this be since I am a virgin? Or literally what that means is since I know no man. She, I, I, I'm not, Joseph and I aren't even in the same, we're not married yet, we're not sexually active. How, how can this even be? And, and we're going to see in just a second, I, I read it to you already, that, um, that Gabriel answers her question. Okay. Now, if you've been reading through Luke, a lot of people do at this time of the year, and especially in the beginning, and you see that when the Gabriel last showed up, he talked to a guy by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah also asks a question. So the question and the, the angel have very different responses. So what's different, or how is Mary's question different than Zechariah's question? So Mary's question is, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Zechariah's question when he was there in the temple, and it's Zechariah and the angel Gabriel, and they're talking, he says, not how will this be, but how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, my wife is well long in years. So both of them give the problem. The one says, I'm old. I, old people don't have children. The other one says, uh, I'm, I'm a virgin. How, how can this? But the question is stated differently. The one says, how will this be? 
And the other one says, how can I be sure of this? And to Mary's question, Gabriel gives a very nice answer. We're going to see it in just a second. To Zechariah's question, the answer given is, shut up. Literally, shut up. You're not going to talk now from this moment until after J the B is born. Okay? You're not talking till then. But that's not what happens here. The angel answers her and he says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and by the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, uh, let's just make this super clear because I don't, I'm not trying to be crass here at all, but what he is not saying here is that there was any kind of sexual union between the Holy Spirit and Mary. No, she is going to give a virgin conception and virgin birth, okay? So just to make sure here, that's not what he, but he's just saying, you're going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And just so you know, so he's announcing this, let me give you another one. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age, old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. And then he, he drops the, the theology bomb, for nothing is impossible with God. God is going to do this. So, how does Mary respond to this? All of this. She's young. She's going to go through this. Look at her answer. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now, I don't know maturity level for you at 12, but that was not where I was at. Pick somebody else. Or just think about some of the things that she might have gone through. I want you to think about, and I want her response, and I want to just for a moment there, think about what was about to happen to her, okay? Just think about this just for a second. First thing. And I'm going to look at Matthew, uh, what Cor looked at last week, and then those two passages from Luke that, that highlighted, will highlight a couple things. First thing. It says here that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's all Matthew says about it. We get a lot more in Luke. Now, can you imagine that conversation that she would have to have with Joseph? Okay, here's, here's the deal. I know this is not going to, you're probably, I know. But let me just tell you what happened. Okay? And he, she had to know what she had seen in her culture by other young girls that had gotten pregnant outside of marriage, what happened to them? They were shunned from the community. They were, they were looked upon. And you most likely, this betrothal would be broken. It's part of the deal. You don't get to have other people's children. It's kind of, part of, kind of a big deal here. And that's even what happened. So she knows when all of this is being announced to her, she knows that her life in the community will be forever looked upon as she'll be a loose woman. That's what she'll always, people will always say that, right? And then she shares this with Joseph at some point, and then he says, yeah, yeah, that excuse has never been tried before, and I'm sure since then people have tried it, but no, it doesn't work. And, but it says that he was gonna, he had a mind to just divorce her quietly, and it says why, 
He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. The reality was, though, she was going to go through that anyway. She was going to be a 12-year-old girl. She was not yet married, and she was going to have a child, and it's pretty hard to hide that. So she knew this is what was going to take place. Secondly, look at this. It talks about in chapter 2. I'm not, we're not going to read it all again. There's this, there's this census that takes place. Mary's living with her dad under her family's household. Joseph, wherever he is, he might be on his own or he might be with his fa family. He has to go back. They have to travel from Nazareth. They've got to go to Bethlehem. And because they're going to get married, Mary has to come too. Now, Mary is pregnant. How pregnant is Mary? <laughs> Very, right? Because by the time they get there, the time has come to be born. They're four minutes apart. We are ready to go. So she's doing this traveling as, as, as you know, very uncomfortable. It's the nicest way I can think of saying. She's just not, yeah. And I, I just, no, and I'm not, I'm not faulting any, you know, I, I was there for, for my wife. And I, I know what that's, that, th that time of the, when she's, uncomfortable like that. She's, she's, it's, it's irritable, right? It's, it's not right. She can't sleep because it's like, you know, you're tied to a couple basketballs or something. It's just not right, right? Nothing works. Whatever I say, no, I'm getting emails on anyway, so I don't mind. I didn't write it. This is God writing it, so email God at hopecc.com. I didn't make this thing up, you know. So it's just very uncomfortable, and she has to do this traveling, and just think about this now. She said, an angel comes to me, tells me I'm, I'm basically, I could live a life as a single mom and ashamed for my community. I'm going to have the Messiah, but everyone's going to look down upon me with shame. And then I've got to do this traveling to go register. And then when we get there, there's no room at the Holiday Inn. There's nothing, right? She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a cow trough. I... I, I there's a point where you expect Mary to just go, okay, okay, really? Really? This is the way we're going to do this? All this? And then I'm putting him in hay in a trough? And, you know, I know we always have that nice little image of, well, he was born in a manger. It's a barn, and it smells like a barn. Do you know what a barn smells like? If you don't, just go into a junior high locker room. It's kind of similar, right? Boys. I had a deal where I used to give uh, the boys basketball uh, the rides after the game in my truck, and I was like, oh my gosh, gentlemen, this is deodorant. You and it need to become friends. And so the, 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 the barn, would just, it just smells. And she says, no guest room available for them. Really? And then we get over, and, and as soon as that's happening, remember what the community thinks of Mary. They're suspect of her. They think she's a loose woman. And she, she's convinced her husband about this crazy story. So she's a liar. She's loose. She's a liar. And she's lunatic to actually believe this. That's Mary's reputation. And look at what it says here. After the angels appear to the shepherds and the shepherds go and they say, let's check this out. They find Mary and Joseph and the baby was lying in the manger when they had seen him. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all more come. Okay? So what's Mary going to do? All these people from the area are coming in. And again, what's she going to do with that? Oh, 
shame and, and, and I can't believe God did this to me in anger because we're here in a manger. Look at what she does. Verse 19 of chapter 2, it chokes me up every time I read it. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Whoa. If you have seen a mom with her infant child and when she's holding this being, that in a lot of ways, uh, no offense to the newborns in the room, but you know, you're not the most pleasant human beings at that moment. You, you cry all the time. You're out of, pretty much out of every possible place. You're leaking. Uh, it's, it's not. And yet, there's something about a mother's heart towards that newborn. And as Mary saw this and saw people coming, it said she treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. And once again, I think Luke probably interviewed her. to, And she said, you know, that was my best day. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So her reputation was those three L's. She's, 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 a, she's a loose woman, she's a liar, and she's a lunatic. And yet, she laid aside her reputation. Look what uh, Ken Hughes says here. As we study the Annunciation and birth of Jesus, we must accept the essential spiritual fact of the incarnation and the gospel. The Lord comes to needy people. Those who realize that without him they cannot make it. Those who acknowledge their weakness and spiritual lack. The incarnation, salvation, resurrection, Christmas are not for the proud and self-sufficient. As we follow the course of the Annunciation, we will catch the pulse of the virgin's heart because Mary is a model for those who experience the birth of the Savior in their lives. I love that phrase. Jesus Christ is our hero. He's the incarnate one. He's the one come. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to live an exemplary life. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to pay the penalty for our sins. He's going to raise on the third day. He's going to send out disciples. He's going to be ascended on high. And today, right now, he thinks so much of you. He's praying for you even today. That's who our, that's who our hero is. But Mary, Mary's a model. Mary is a model. So let me close our awkward family photos here with this. First of all, just Merry Christmas. I know for many of you, you won't see each other for a little while. You're going to be traveling hither and yon, going places. I know for many of you, Christmas is a tricky time with uh, maybe tricky family situations or, or, or whatever may have you. Some of you, like our family, we've had a loss, and so it makes it hard. So just Merry Christmas to you. May God really be with you and bless you wherever you go. But secondly, will you be like Mary? Will you look at her as a model? And will you have an open hand with your life? And your reputation. And say, God, I, I lay it all down. I lay that down for you. Uh, one thing we've been doing in this, and, and it's been really fun so far. I've really enjoyed it. Last week, Cora asked 20 people to, I think it was 20, I can't remember how many it was, but to raise their hands and to do a very Avery, <laughs> Hope Christmas, I like to say it that way. But if, uh, yeah, it's been fun to just hashtag that on Twitter or, or on Facebook and uh, I guess Instagram, I'm not that savvy. So, But uh, and look at that. Just if God is doing something in your lives, it's a great way for us to stay connected as a church. And so encourage you to keep doing that. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus Christ, the, the one who was incarnate, the one who lived a life, the one who died, and the one who was risen. We worship you today. And Lord, I am so encouraged with seeing the example of Mary who had at least five times where she could have seriously uh, wrote a list of complaints and yet it just says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said and that she treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. God, would we be followers like that? Would we so trust in your goodness and your sovereignty even when things seem to be upside down? that we would be people who trust you like that. I pray for every person here to, uh, today, Lord God, that you would you just bless them in these next few weeks especially. May they experience firsthand the beauty and the wonder of the incarnation of Christ. Would you do that, Lord, for your glory and our joy, we pray. Amen.